All right. Welcome. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's politics and parenting where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking at the camera this time. <laughs> That's the key thing. Yeah, you got to it'll follow the look in the eyes. I am um I was helping this kid with a with a presentation and um he gave like a sample presentation for it and I was like, yeah, there's some some suggestions for this. And it was weird because I didn't really understand why I was coming up with these suggestions like he was giving statistics and things and it was really dry and boring. And then as I was talking to him about it, it kind of occurred to me, you know, I took a class on this. So I like flipped to the front of my notebook and I could see like these notes from this little leadership Institute thing I had done about uh, talking on TV. And it was literally like, if there's a statistic, if you just say 75% of people die, that's boring. What you really got to say is like three fourths of your kids are going to die or something. You know, you got to like really make it emotional and personalize it. And you got to look at the camera in the eyes. So that was, uh, it's, uh, it's all coming around full circle. That, that's right. We did. We took that way back when. I forgot about that, honestly. Oh, I didn't forget about it, but I forgot I learned stuff there. I actually, I took the advice because I got a light today. Look. look. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Wow. It's so professional. So professional. <laughs> oh, man. So how was your week? Oh, I was busy. We uh, we fired a superintendent this past week. So um, it was, uh, as you know, I feel like it was a follow-up to uh, a comment I made a year ago saying he should resign. So uh, <laughs> better late than ever. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. I know that you've you've had a lot of work over there. <laughs> so how was your week? Uh, my week was good. I um, good and bad. So I went to uh, I went to Jirani's. Um, so Jirani's is a place I go and do poetry, and I haven't been there for a really long period of time, um, just because life right yeah. um, but poetry something that it, i don't know it means something to me and i love going there because i like made a connection with the people there um you know a little a little tiny family right you know maybe you don't see them anywhere else but you see them there and you feel comfortable um so i kind of missed it and i got i i had a week a night off i took my julia and oliver and my wife and uh i i read a poem my wife read a poem but something struck me while i was there um there was this this woman, uh, a younger woman. She got up on stage at the very beginning and she sang, um, like a gospel a gospel song, I believe. And then at the end, she told her story, and it was very personal, right? She had a she had a very lo- rough life. Like her parents lost their job, they lost their house, they were living in a car for a while, and then she told everybody that they needed to repent to Jesus and that Jesus was coming back soon. And I was like, man, Jesus is coming back soon. And since I've been going to Gerani's, I've been doing this thing. I keep on hearing this, right? And I, you know, I'm kind of new to religion and I go to church, but I don't think we're supposed to know when Jesus comes back, right? Like that's not something a human- so It's in the man. Yeah, it's in the manual. Yeah, like that's not something like that human beings can warn against. But what I think it speaks to is like just a larger discontent in society, right? And when I'm reading mm-hmm. like the history, I can see like rises of this in our history before. And I think what it is is when people start to lose faith in humanity, realistically, in their fellow man to do the right thing or to do good, they start to think that the end is coming. And if you're a Christian and you believe that the end is coming, you believe that Jesus is coming back, right? Um, right. But I don't necessarily know that that's true. I don't think that we could ever know that that's true. Um, but I don't know. It, you know, that. And then there was an, another gentleman. He got up afterwards, and he uh, he called himself the Anointed One. Uh, he was anointed by God, and he got up there and he had like the most eloquent rap I've ever heard in my entire life. Like it was it was insane. I actually like tweeted a line of it today about like. Um, everybody's wondering why why there's so much darkness but they won't open their eyes right or something to that effect and see the light yeah. and, it's like, and it was just really eloquent and again he in his rap he told his story it was he lost his brother when he was in like elementary school age he lost his father when he was in middle school he's you know dealt with uh, mental health issues and stuff. And yet he still gets up on stage and he still just has this ridiculous flow, you know? And again, he's up there, he's not predicting Jesus coming back, but he's up there, you know, telling everybody like, Hey, you know, faith helped me. I'm, you know, all that type of stuff. And, uh, afterwards 
I, I, I was so touched by his rap. I actually like cried at the table and my wife's like, what are you doing? <laughs> at the end of the night, I went up to him and I was like, Hey man, can I just, can I give you a hug? And he's like, yeah. And he like, he just gave me the tightest hug. Like it was so, it was crazy. And uh, I don't know, like being out and taking all that in all the stories and stuff. Sometimes it gets to me like just that, like, do you feel like you're an empathetic? Like when, when you hear other people tell stories, like just kind of like weighs on you a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, that, I think that's, um, I mean, I think that's why we're out trying to talk to people because we hear the pain and we want to provide solutions to those um, problems and, and such. And uh, you know, I, I mean, like you talk about like, we don't know when the end's going to come, but I think we always got to be ready as best as we can. And, you know, we don't know the hour of the time, but we do know that something will happen at some point. And um, it's just so, it's good to be reminded sometimes, even if you, you know, if someone says it's going to be this date, um, you know, it may not be that date, but it is always a good reminder that we should be prepared and we should be ready. Um, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Like there's a, a lack of meaning in a lot of our lives. And um, I was just at this talk last night uh, with this priest is going on because, you know, it's Advent. So we're thinking about Christmas and, and such. And um, he was talking about in uh, the beginning of John's gospel, um, it's like the the English translation, the beginning was the word. And he's like that logos, that Greek word for word logos has so many other like meanings behind it that the translation, however, you know, many hundreds of years ago was word. And that made sense. But in our modern times, you could almost translate it as like the meaning. And you could say like the meaning became flesh. Um, and the beginning in the beginning was the meaning and the meaning was with God. You know, so I just think like you just talking about that and me hearing that last night, like that's, it's so true. Like there's so much emptiness in the world and um, I, you know, I'm guilty of feeling that sometimes too. And it's it just, it's good to have people around you that you can um, lean on and, and provide and help fill you with, help fill those voids. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I, I spend probably like, as much time as I can talking to strangers, I, that's like a strange thing. Like I will set up at a coffee shop. And if I see people there that seem like they want to have a conversation, I will talk to them. There are so many people in the world that just want to talk. And there's like, and people are so short tempered. They're always, you know, moving from one thing and they're so crass. And it's just like, if you just give them an opportunity, they have like amazing stories to tell. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see that, but the stories kind of weigh on me. And then like, you know, what we're doing, right? Like the the work, I feel like this pressure that I, I guess I put on myself and whatnot. And I'm sitting Friday in my in the car with my wife after the Jaranis thing. And I'm just like, I'm drained. You know, there's a, there's like a little Instagram video out where this like stick figure guy like goes and he helps somebody and they're like, they've got a, like a little bit of darkness on them. Like everybody's white. Right. And then not racial. Right. <laughs> but, and then, um, he helps him and he gives him a hug and that little bit of darkness transfers onto that person and he keeps on helping other people and it keeps on transferring on all of a sudden he's like completely dark and he's like going home and he's rejuvenated by his dog realistically is is the moral of the story and i kind of feel like that sometimes i take in all those stories and it just it just brings me down i just get sad and or frustrated and uh i told my wife i was like i just you know, I don't know if I can do this. Like, what's the, what's the point? Why am I keep going? It's, it's hard. Um, especially to hear all these like stories is like, I just, I can't do anything to help these people, you know, like I, I want to, and I, I just can't. Um, and then, you know, so my wife, of course, she's my wife. She comforts me and, and tells me stop being stupid and to wake up. <laughs> and then, uh, then I go to church this morning. So, um, I always feel that these like going to church, it's, it's weird. You know, the words were written so long ago, but they always seem so very relevant to today. Mm -hmm. And, uh, number, uh, in, in the, the segment that the pastor was doing, it's, uh, lights don't give up is the segment that he's doing. Right. So he's talking about light, um, which is what they were talking about. They were talking about darkness and, and he's talking mm -hmm. about light. Yeah. And number two, it says, he chooses weak people to do powerful things. And I literally was just like, I feel like I'm a weak person. And I feel like I'm trying to do something that I sh I'm not capable of. And I don't know why I keep trying. Sorry, because you you didn't go to Harvard, you don't have an MBA, uh, no, no law degree. Right. And, you know, I mean, part of that's insecurity, right, that you mm -hmm. put upon yourself. And part of it is just understanding how small I am. 
Like realistically, in in such a vast world with so many people and so much money and so much power, I am nobody, right? And I'm trying to do something because I see a significant problem and I feel weak and powerless. Um, and then I go to church and and he says, don't give up. Keep for the light, you know? And uh, I don't know. I just I thought it was a story that I wanted to share to start off the podcast. I hope it's a good story. I don't know how you guys feel about no, that's it. That's a good one. I mean, like that's um, I've had so many times like that during the campaign. Like it's you just like you're in the midst of it and you're like, what the heck am I doing? Um, and uh, just the right person says the right thing. And um, it just gets you to the next the next uh, lap in this race and the next, you know, getting over that hurdle. Um, like I remember sometimes like, I just feel so down and like, uh, I need like, a, you know, we need a donation or something just to like pay for something. And, um, like it, it came and it was the right amount at the right time. Um, and, uh, you know, just like so much of life is being able to persevere through, through tough, difficult times, especially things you can't control. I mean, like there's, um, I remember when I was running for school board, my kickoff campaign, I had this like quote, it's like, you know, just because you can't control the storm doesn't mean you give up the ship. And, um, you know, that's been like the, that's been a metaphor so much for the school board term, but I think it's like life in general. Like there's so many things that go on that, um, you know, just like you can't control the weather, you can't control blizzard, you can't control hurricane. Um, but that doesn't mean you necessarily give up, you know, you got to hold fast as much as possible. And of course, if the ship gets wrecked, ships wrecked, then, you, you know, you got your own problems. But when you're, when it's, there's things that you can't control, you just have to hold on to what you can and to hold, I know, hold on to people that you, that you love and uh, go through that process with them. Yeah, absolutely. And now we get to start the regular show and talk about politics, right? So, uh, I wanted to start out the show with what I've been reading because I love to read. It's my favorite thing. If you talk about rejuvenating, there's nothing that rejuvenates mm-hmm. more than reading a really good book. Um, so I just finished this. Uh, it is William Jennings Bryant, a godly hero. Um, I also read this this week, uh, John Quincy Adams. This was a fantastic little um, intro to John Quincy. It really touched on like, his father's influence in like young John Quincy, um, his time overseas. I absolutely love this. Um, And you guys know, I read these recently, Man of Iron and William McKinley, right? And I just wanted to talk about why. Like, why am I reading these specific uh, type of books? Well, part of it, oh, and this is next, Andrew Jackson. I started that today, right? So who, who are these guys? They're populist leaders, Right. And the, the the crazy thing is, this was the beginning of the D- Democratic Party as they knew it until this man mm-hmm. arrived. And then the Democratic Party was completely different. Right. This Democratic Party was a populist, limited government party. And this Democratic Party was still populist to a degree, but it was transferring power to the federal. It was it was completely the antithesis of this. And it, he's the guy that made it, ch- changed it. And uh, I find that fascinating because, you know, I can see it like from the greater perspective of like when I'm looking at history. But I've always thought, why did it change? Like, why did the parties kind of change? And, you know, being able to track that, we already talked about McKinley, right? McKinley was the change of the uh, the Republican the fi- campaign finance and yeah. campaign finance and whatnot. And, uh, and then, you know, Grover Cleveland was part of that. And, you know, the reason that I'm studying these guys, right, is populism pops its head up for a few different reasons. And that's typically when the, uh, the powers that be aren't doing their job. And that's what happened mm-hmm. here. And, and I'll, I'm going to just read just a very quick page from here. It's like literally the opening thing. Um, he's talking about John Quincy Adams. This is the opening of the book. It says his father, John Adams, and from and for most of the other founders had feared that republicanism would denigrate into democracy, that government of the people would become government by the people. Nothing in history deposed them to look hopefully on such a development for never in history had ordinary people run their own affairs without very quickly running them into the ground. And I think about that and I think about where we are, where our country has lost republicanism. 
for to a large degree. We we want to do majority rule. It's all about saving democracy and not saving the republic. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's almost like people don't know what they're doing out there. And so I'm trying to figure it out, right? I'm and I, like I think a bad, it's like the, there's a bad education system or something. People need to read more books. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I think that a lot of the problems that we have now were started between that gilded progressive era, right? A lot of things happened. Uh, specifically, this man changed a lot of it. You know, the direct uh, election of senators that was one of the ideas that he he proposed. Um, he was a silverite. Uh, which that whole gold and silver battle eventually re- led to the federal, uh, you know, tax uh, revenue, mm-hmm. the IRS system. Um, and then I think he gave uh, he he was a proponent of giving women the right to vote. I'm good with that one. I got no qualms with that particular amendment. But you know, every blind squirrel gets a nut sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, I I think I posted that this week. I posted one of his quotes, and I'm like, he's wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. And that thing was campaign finance. He was he was screaming from the top of his lungs about campaign finance. He told his party, he said, if you if you uh, start to raise a lot of money, you're basically setting a precedent, and then it's going to become to the highest bidder. And that's exactly what happened. You know. Um, and it become it became incredibly corrupt as well as we could understand. But yeah. um, you know, like I, I was saying, the I think a lot of our problems started in that Gilded Age, progressive era, and then all in through to the New Deal. So, like studying that period of history is really important in understanding modern day problems. Now, those problems originated from the the other dead period which is like the jacksonian era through the civil war right where people just don't really know Mm -hmm. about it a lot and um i think a lot of the answers might be in that period i actually uh tweeted out i wanted i want somebody to write a a a biography on uh roger b tawny um now he's infamous for uh the dred scott ruling and he was a notorious you know bigot um but he was a limited government guy and he um i did read that he freed his slaves which i just want to know the story behind that like this guy that tried to like instill slavery into the nation why did he choose to free his like i just as a you know person i just want to understand that thought but i think there's a lot there with the supreme court rulings that he he was on because for the most part it was limited government until it came to slavery and then it was like all right well we can use the federal government to protect slavery you know but um I don't know. I think that's why I'm studying there. I I would encourage anybody out there listening. If you're like, oh, what's going on? Study the dead zones, right? Study the dead zones of our history. Try to figure out what's going on, how to fix this mess we're in. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. Like the the American history kind of, it skips from uh, War of 1812 and you kind of got a little bit of like the antebellum stuff with like that you can feel the simmerings and things. Um, But there's so much that was missing. And I remember reading uh, What Hath God Wrought for the Oxford history, American history series. And that was just like eye-opening. So many like things happen in our country, not just politically, but like socially and culturally too, as the society changed. Um, and then again, like <clears throat> you've got the civil war and you've got six or seven, like really intense years of the, the years leading up to it. Lincoln's election, the South splitting away, and then eventually the North winning Lincoln's assassination. And then like it dies right there, literally with Lincoln. I feel like the whole reconstruction area gets swept under the rug. And I think that's because it's painful for a lot of people. Like it's not, um, there were people that won and the people that lost. And I think in an effort to maybe to, to have some kind of reconciliation, there's a willingness to forget a little bit about that. But I think we forget too much. Um, like we forget about uh, the, just the, the way the parties evolved, like, the you know, talking about campaign finance and McKinley and stuff like no one talks about that. And it's sort of like politics kind of comes back with um like world war one and sort of then you're back to world war one and that's like but as a more like america looking at the world focus then um and it kind of continues with that because world war one league of nations problems in europe world war two and then the cold war but those are also much like externally focused and a lot of it is not like being able to like look back at us and to study ourselves and to see what we did right and what we did wrong well, and I I think even when you get into that, like during that time period, the the po- you know after nineteen hundred and the World War One, World War Two, the focus is on those two events, right? It's in, mm-hmm. in the Great Depression, you know, as well. Yeah, they don't really like they don't dive into like why did these events happen, right? Like I would argue that 
World War II is a direct result of like the failing of World War One. You know, like you, mm-hmm. the Treaty of Ver- it was the Treaty of Versailles. The Treaty. Of- I believe I, so. Yeah. I, I forget the treaties' names, and sometimes you know get them mixed up. But the uh, you know, it was a it was a bad deal, right? Like Donald Trump, I make the best deals, you know. But he. <laughs> You know, Woodrow Wilson had a stroke and he struggled through a Republican Congress with uh, what was his name? Henry Cabot Lodge. Right. And he was just a thorn in his side. And Wilson wasn't, you know, Wilson was good and he was bad. I think he was a decent human being. He had bad ideas, but he um, he he was terrible. And then as far as with the, uh, you know, getting it approved by the Senate and whatnot, it got completely dismantled. And then the other powers in the world really kind of kind of mess with germany and they you know they helped create the mess that started world war ii in my opinion but and then you know with world war one I, I don't really know does anybody know why world war one started <laughs> well it's, i mean the assassination france ferdinand but there's sort of like a yeah before that you've got um what's the what's the german diplomat it was uh now i can't remember but it basically like just all these alliances and stuff and sort of he was projecting german power through all sorts of alliances um it's interesting i think um who's the common sense podcast guy uh with the hardcore history but there's like a whole four part series on world war one and he talks about like leading up to world war one the germans were just doing all these preparations like they would go to finland and they would scout out the land thinking like well we're gonna go to war them at some point let's know what it's like so like once the decision to to enter into a war occurs they had like a whole timetable and stuff for this. And they would, uh, they had uh, down to like the second or the minutes and the hours of where they should be. They had these big cannons that required concrete footers. So they knew how long it would take to dig the holes, pour the concrete footers, let the concrete set, and then position the guns so they could attack these forts. So it was a whole timetable for this that we like, you know, that that was, was crazy for me to listen to um, in the, the hardcore history series about this. But like, um, I think like Germany was kind of, they knew what they were going to do and they were just waiting for the right time. And uh, an assassination was the perfect opportunity to uh, just put into place plans that they had already made. And we're all thinking about. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I didn't know the detail of that, but that's kind of where I'm picking up what I'm reading so far. It was like, it was just, it wasn't just happenstance. It was planned. It was like the, the start was, you know, the, the match, right? Like it, it just started the fire, but all the kindling was already there, you know? Um, but yeah, so I, you know, this is the reason I'm studying this, these sections. Um, and I'm also studying finance somewhere in here. I got Bitcoin and debt and for profit corporations, you know, look at all of our problems and then try to figure out like, how did we get there with these things? And then, you know, find some answers for people because I think that's what people need, right? They need some answers, um, or at least some ideas that maybe they can tag along on or, or shape. Um, speaking of, ideas and tagging along and shaping what is elon doing what is elon doing i think he's trying to recoup his 44 billion dollar investment as best he can and i think uh, i mean like he went into it knowing that there was like weird things going on i think everyone kind of had this idea that things weren't quite things were happening that were not being uh described as they were and so like there was a whole concept of shadow banning and i think people could kind of like prove that their accounts wasn't getting the same visibility. Um, And so there was this term shadow banning. And of course, uh, many Twitter people said, well, we don't shadow ban. And that's because they had like other euphemisms for it or like different, like literally different tools they could provide to change how the algorithm was displaying tweets and was showing people. So I think it's um, Elon's trying to build trust that, that the system might work back to the way it was. I mean, but again, like those tools are still there. So he just might start using it against other people. Like you don't know. So it, I think he's trying to rebuild trust so that people come back and understand that it, that it is, could be a town square. Um, and I think he's just trying to show that like the people running the ship were not doing a good job. And it, I mean, I've been following Twitter since um, probably like 2010, 2011. And I could say like the people running the, sh- the, the ship were not doing a good job for tons and tons of reasons. Um, like it's, it's always been a kind of a bad business. I think they've only been profitable one quarter or a couple quarters in their multiple year, you know, since the beginning. Um, so they just, they lose money constantly. Uh, I've definitely well before, like he went ahead and laid off a, a third half the workforce. Like I've heard that just people, there's just so many people there and there's so much infighting about this. Um, I've heard like the, the product itself was so successful at the beginning 
that they didn't have to like struggle and going back to like struggling through, through life and things like you learn a lot through that. And you learn a lot of that, through that process. Um, and like wine, like good wine comes from grapes that have had to suffer through uh, the drought and the heat in the summer. And then they just kind of like make their way to the end. So like to have a successful t- product, there's this whole process of trying to find out what kind of problem are we trying to solve? Like what's the, what's the answer? What question are people asking that we're the answer to? And Twitter never really had that. So they just kind of had this like cool idea where you could like post a message that was 140 characters and everyone could see it all at once, which is amazing. But then like, what do you do around that? And so they just kind of struggled with that. And I think he's maybe trying to go through that pain process of like, what is the solution? What is the purpose of this system? And, um, you know, I think he's doing that, all that painful stuff out out loud. And uh, so we'll see. I'm, I'm, I, w- I was amazed when I saw like the screenshots and like, I could picture like, a, like building a system like that where like, uh, what was it? The libs of TikTok or something. And it's like, there's a little message, like, don't touch this account unless you go through a specific group. Like, you know, there definitely was a lot of, um, of, of rot throughout the, the, the whole pro the app, uh, platform. Yeah. I mean, Twitter has issues, right. And, and mm-hmm. that's separate than like what Elon's doing in my opinion, because, um, you know, it's great that he's come in and cleaning house, right. And he's going to show all of Twitter's secrets, um, I want to see SpaceX's secrets. You know, I want to see their dealings with the federal government and the kickbacks and subsidies that he gets. You know, if you're not going to do that, Elon, then you're not really being open about yourself. Mm -hmm. You're being open about somebody else. And that's, and this is why I go back to Elon is a populist leader. He wants to be a populist leader. This is his goal, okay? He's a really highly ed- educated guy. He's arrogant. I've I've watched numerous e- uh, interviews with the guy. He reminds me, like I've said before, a lot of Andrew Carnegie, okay? And, um, you know, his goal, populist leaders typically bend the truth or they serve out their own version of the truth, right? And they, and they, they yeah. do that so they could build trust. Like you mentioned before, he's trying to build trust. Yes, maybe that's to get his money back, but maybe it's not because, you know, today or yesterday, he's just tweeting out some ridiculous things. Uh, let's let's take a look here. Um, he tweeted out that one with uh, it's like a Fa- Fauci and then Biden. And it's like, please, King, can I have another lockdown or something like that? And. You know, yeah, it's funny. It's, you know, whatever. But to my knowledge, I don't think Biden's actually put any lockdowns in effect since he's been president. That was Trump. So I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand the meme, number one, you know, like that. that yeah. But but number two, it's like you have so much power, Elon. Why? And you have a voice that people listen to. And you're you're doing that. You're putting out stupid memes, okay? As opposed to something yeah. substantial, like what what you and I are doing is like we're studying. We're like trying to understand the problem. When we speak, we want to have something of value to say. And and Elon has this massive microphone, and he's trying to get attention. He's trying to own the libs. He's trying to build a base. He's trying to create a following. That's what populist leaders do. This guy had an incredible following. This guy had a following, right? Carnegie had a following. Ford had a following, right? These are the, this is what happens. And, you know, whatever he does at Twitter, I hope it goes well. You know, I hope that Twitter is a success because I like the function of Twitter. Um, Although I'm sure that something will come out that'll be better and I'll jump ship at some point in time anyways. But, you know, in the meantime- in the meantime, it's Twitter. And, um, yeah. you know, I want, I do want all these things to come out. I want them to be released. I want it to get fixed. I don't think that, um, I don't think the FBI should have any, you know, say or whatever in who Twitter censors and whatnot. I don't think that that is right. Um, and I'm glad that we know about it, but somebody, uh, somebody that I follow on Twitter, uh, hold on, let me find it real quick. It's, uh, uncap the house. I believe it is because of course I follow uncap the house on Twitter. Um, If you're not following on Twitter, go follow uncap the house on Twitter. Um, He, he or she, I don't know. It's just says uncap the house. People care more about a lack of voice on Twitter than a lack of voice in their own government. 
That's the point. We're distracted. We're fighting the wrong battles. Mm -hmm. Why 435, right? What does it matter if Twitter silences you? You should care about your representation. You should care about where the actual power is. Like this should be our focus. But we allow people like Elon and, and you know, other news media outlets and whatnot to drive our attention elsewhere. And I just, you know, I don't know. Elon. Well, I think that's that's part of the outrage is that p- there was sort of the expectation that like going on Twitter and tweeting or something was your way to to get your represents again because that was the only way they, they were accessible. They weren't accessible in your district. They weren't accessible in their offices. Um, the the way you thought you can get a hold of them was by tweeting at them, and sometimes they threw threw a bone to you and they would respond or something. So there was kind of this this and as we've seen, like it was it was a fake. It was a veneer of of access and the ability to like promote your idea there's what it felt like a level playing field or what was supposed to what people thought was a level playing field but it became increasingly clear that that wasn't the case and now it's very out in the open that that's not the case at all if you ran afoul of anyone who didn't like you you, you got uh, put on specific lists you lost followers um so i i mean i'm looking forward to the next thing after twitter when we can get off it and <laughs> well, and and so you just you just said something there that that reminded me something again of what uh, my pastor said today at church, and he said, you know, you know, sometimes like when you enter a dark room, it's like pitch black and you can't see anything, but you stand there for a minute and your eyes adjust and now you can start to see things. Now you're comfortable in the darkness. That's not good. <laughs> you know, like flip the light on, right? And I think that's where we are with this whole idea of like we thought or society thought that having a voice on Twitter was more important than having representation in our house, right? Mm -hmm. And that's because we've been in the dark for so long, it seems normal to us. And it's, but it's not. And, you know, I'm here to like flip the light on people. Like (laughs) representation is where it's at, man. It's Republican government. It's like, it's how the system works. Like imagine, imagine going out and playing on a basketball team right? And uh, being new to the team and nobody telling you that the object of the game is to put the ball in the hoop. Somebody mm-hmm. tells you that the object of the game is to kick the ball. So you go out there and you start kicking the ball and everybody's like, what are you doing? Like, you're just, you've, you've lost your mind. Yeah, that's us. Except everybody's cooking the ball. Nobody's trying to put it in the hoop, you know? <laughs> that's a good, I like that metaphor. That's a, I mean, like, that's exactly what it is. Like we're, we're just not paying attention to what we're supposed to be doing. We're paying attention to um, scoring points. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are grifting off this because they realize they can get easy donations based on people's rage and anger. And um, I feel like that's, you know, the, there's the idea that you got to like, there's people can recognize there's problems. And what you got to do is you have to, work towards solving those problems and there's like the quick fix where like we're going to get angry and yell at people and hope that they acquiesce and go our way and sometimes it works and i think that's the worst thing is when it works that one time you're like well this is the best way to do it because i got what i wanted and i don't have to do any i don't do any work to convince people i just yell and yell and yell and then it becomes a shouting match on both sides and it isn't until you can find like that scapegoat where you're both yelling at them where you find like there's some kind of release to that otherwise you're just yelling at each other and you're not making any progress and the problem just festers. And then people who who are succeeding in that festering problem, they're the ones who are happy that we're shouting at each other. Yeah, I agree. 100%. We got to get people to lower their volume of their voice and have a conversation, right? It's It's about a give and take. It's about understanding one another. It's about communication. <laughs> That's what representation is. <laughs> Stop screaming. But there's but they're screaming because they can't be heard. And and then yeah. and that's been my point the whole time, you know, since I started this whole venture or whatever the heck I'm doing, is people are screaming and angry because they're not being heard, plain and simple. And their voice is not supposed to be heard on Twitter, and you shouldn't care nearly as much about that as you should care about the fact that the house has been capped at 435 for over a hundred years. It's your voice. Um, anyways, I'm all and, and that trickles down to everything else. Like I, I feel like it's it's one small thing, but I, I think it would fix so many other problems. Yes, I agree. And, and yeah, it's not a, you know, there is no one solution to what's going on. It's a mm-hmm. step in the right direction, right? Um, speaking of a step in a different direction, 
What's going? Who? What, what was the other topic you wanted to talk about there, John? Oh, uh, Kirsten Cinema became an well. She left the Democratic Party. Apparently, from my understanding, she'll still caucus with Democrats and such. But I, I mean, like that's the the one thing that we've been kind of talking about. It's like the Senate is really the state's representation, and it's not you know just because you're uh, you've got a D or an R next to your name doesn't necessarily mean you you should be in lockstep with the party. I think it's it's so important that you have to understand your role in the whole system, your role as a leader, as a legislator, you know, you're not just someone there to toe the party line. Although some, you know, you do a lot, like, and that's sometimes that's why you got elected. And so if it's the people that elected, you want these certain things, you got to follow that. And I think that's what's amazing about this Kirsten Cinema thing is she realized that the people who elected her don't want a lot of these crazy things that are happening. And she was willing to stand up for the past two years and now that uh, the Senate has changed in terms of a little bit in terms of its makeup, she's going to start to break away even more from that. And, and you know, considering like friendly, there's two other Demo- two other independents that caucus the Democrats. So it's not like she's the only independent in the Senate. But it's this I, realization that your role as a senator is more than just the party, and it's more than just you. It's the people that you represent. It's the state you represent. And she sees that she's got to do a better job representing the people of Arizona. And sometimes that means bucking with whatever uh, other people want you to do because it's better for your state. That's sort of that that selfish power grab that that Madison kind of talked about, like, you know, um, the ambition in there. And she's ambitious for Arizona. That's a good slogan. There we go. She should have that. <laughs> she should, yeah, she should run on that on her independent campaign. That's a great ambitious for Arizona. I like it. Uh, I'm going to copyright that trademark and I'm going to make a buck every time uh, Kristen uses it no <laughs> um but no i mean look it takes guts it takes guts to go out on your own right i know that right <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know that um <laughs> and in especially in this society where like it again people don't feel comfortable you know i don't want to say that they don't feel safe but they don't feel comfortable the temperature is continuing to rise and yeah. to step out of a group that makes you feel safe in a moment like this shows real courage. Now, will that courage amount to anything of value? I don't know. It, I mean, I would I would encourage somebody like uh, Kristen to not just step away from the party, but fire your consultants, fire your pack people, hire- well, Her consultants dropped her. That was one of the things- Oh, they I did? Okay, good. I didn't consult- know that. As right. soon as she did this, one of her consultants dropped her, so- Good, that's, you know, that shows good, that's- that's a great thing. Look, you got to hire people from outside of the power structure, right? Like if you're hiring the same consultants as everybody else, you're still going to be doing what they tell you to do. And, you know, she seems like the type of person that would do this. So I hope that she does. And like you said, they dropped her. I don't know what exactly what that means. Cause she could just pick up another swamp insider too, but you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, you've got to, and, and it seems like that she's probably already doing this right? Talk to the regular people, like talk to the people that don't go to the political events because they're so tired of the toxicity, you know, hear Mm -hmm. what they have to say. Like I said, I sit in a coffee shop, some coffee shop, some restaurant, some, um, brewery. That's my new thing. I like, I've been going to some breweries lately. I like that. Um, you know, and, and just talk to strangers, right? Like just get an understanding of what people are actually going through. And, uh, you know, in her state, I hope that she does that. I hope that she continues on this path. Um, it's like I said before, people couple and group or human beings couple and group. And when the groups grow too large, factions, factions arise, right? She's yeah. now she's, you know, she's one, but she's broken off of that group. Um, and we've seen a little bit of that uh, over the last few years with the Ford Party, with Principles First, with all these different little factions pop with Madisonian Republicans, right? Um, all these factions popping up. There's a reason for it. Everything eh, and then comes back down. <laughs> it's big uh, and then it fractures. It, it's big and it fractures, right? And and that was the fear for the United States becoming a large republic. Um, that was, you know, at our founding, it was like, well, you can't have a republic this large because it'll be too small a group of people leading too big. And they were kind of right, except for the fact that we weren't supposed to cap the house and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but it leads to our next thing, too. Uh, have you seen the uh, the free press or uh, post? The free press. Yeah, I saw that that was the Barry Weiss's uh, Substack as a new name and a new 
kind of umbrella around it. Yeah, and she's got a lot of uh, new, not new, but like hardcore journalism, right? It, you know, it reminds me a little bit, like especially with like the logo and everything and, and what she's been doing with Twitter files. Man, does it not remind me of the mudrakers mud of the uh, the the progressive era, right? With That worked with McClure's and Ida Tarbell and all those people, you know, uh, Upton, was Upton Sinclair. Now he was an author, right? He didn't write. He's an he, author. But he was a journalist too, right? I think so. I get confused. Uh, there is like a yeah. Sinclair with newspapers. Yeah, and and but you know that really they kind of took down the trust, right? Um, or investigated the trust, and there was a lot of government regulation that came out of it. And I don't, I hope that we don't have a lot of government regulation that comes out of this. But um, I am excited to see young, hungry journalists because we are sorely lacking good journalism in our in our country right now. Um, I think there's a little bit out there already. Like as we've had the Dispatch pop up over the last few years, the Bulwark, which Personally, I'm not a big fan of the Bulwark, but I do like the Dispatch. I do like uh, I, I I love Barry uh, Bart. How do you say your name? I'm terrible with names. Barry, Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss. Um, I only know these these because I listen to podcasts where people talk about uh, these people. So that's I don't listen to people. I just read, so I don't know how things are pronounced. I just say it how I think it, <laughs> and then I I'm not sure, so I stutter. Um, yeah, I but, used to like the Bulwark, and then they just kind of i feel like they just got a little bit too uh, ideological anti-trump <laughs> like i mean come on i'm not a trump fan either but can we move on stop distracting mm-hmm. us let's focus on the real problems yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i'm excited for it it again it's that you know group breakdown you know cnn msnbc fox news they were the king right but you know what people don't trust them anymore because they've law, they they deserve losing our trust, and it's it's good to see, like I said, young ambitious journalism out there trying to build mm-hmm. trust in this country again. Because it's very important. Um, if I could say one thing, if she was actually listening, I would say, like, decentralize your journalism, make it local. Like we need some way to do local journalism again because it's that's that's a lot of the problem. We don't have anybody investigating our like. Uh, board of supervisors and school School boards like there's no real journalism out there on these local uh political levels and it's very dangerous for our our society so if you have the means by all means help it out you know (laughs) decentralize it break it down get it to the local level if you can yeah i think that'd be helpful i mean like it's it's a tough business proposition because you gotta there's like the the economies you know the um getting enough subscribers to support someone so they get paid like it, it just it becomes uh well expensive but, and uh and a, a tough way to you know you gotta get a lot of advertising or something and that's his own problems. My first my first thing would be is if you're gonna start a local uh paper, is stop hiring people that go to journal go to college for journalism. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to go to college for journalism. Get a job at the paper and learn how to do it. If you know how to write, which you should know, you should learn the basics of writing in high school. And then you can learn the rest on the job. And it's cheap labor that you can train into expensive labor that brings profitability to your company. And Mm -hmm. I've talked to local, you know, papers in my area and whatnot. And that seems to be one of the issues. They can't afford the labor. Therefore, they can't do it. So just a thought, like I would... I could be a journalist. Like I didn't go to college, but I have a Substack. I'm kind of a journalist, right? You don't need the piece of paper, people. It's just driving you in debt, and it's hurting your local businesses, your local small businesses. Um, speaking of breaking down and new, there's also Post. Have you seen Post at all? No, I've not seen Post. The Post is a social media thing. I actually got accepted, so I tried to sign up, and they were like, "We're not taking new people right now. We're in beta or whatever it is." And I was like. Oh, okay. I'm not important. Cool. But I got an email a few days ago and I accept it. I haven't got on there. But again, this is like a lot of people that I see on Twitter are going to post. Um, so I'm curious to check it out. Again, new things come out, right? It's okay. You know, you, you don't have to be so scared. New things will rise up. They will build new trust. We'll build new institutions and everything will be fine. <laughs> um, all right parenting time john how was your parenting week that was interesting so we had a piano recital today and um the kids have not been as diligent in their practice 
over the past couple of months. But the, with the crunch time of this recital, they uh, they really like buckle down, learn their pieces. Um, and like, I, it just kind of, you know, I use it as an opportunity to kind of remind them like, you know, if you put just as much effort throughout the whole, uh, the months leading up to this, like A, you could do cooler pieces because you'd be more proficient. And B, it wouldn't be such a, a rush at the end. Like you wouldn't feel the pressure to practice the same piece five to 10 times before uh, the, like the days leading up to it, because you already know it cold since you've been doing it for a while. So we'll see if, uh, if that sticks with them, but it was, um, that was an interesting observation from this, uh, you know, the teacher realizing that they weren't quite ready, them kind of having to like change their pieces to, to fit their skill level, but then them also like rising to the occasion and like actually really buckling down to practice those newer pieces so that they would be ready and they could present something. Um, so, you know, that's um, we'll see if they we'll see if they, what they learn out of that. So, and uh, you're doing more Legos. Yeah. And, and, you know, that practice thing, uh, my, <clears throat> my kids are kind of the same way. Like we go to Durrani's and my kids are like, Hey, I want to go up on stage. I'm like, all right, cool. What are you going to do? They're like, I'm going to sing this song. And I'm like, I've never heard you sing that song before. I'm not <laughs> letting you go up on stage until you sing it for me and your mom at home first. Has that happened yet? No. And, and it's like, I tell, I tell the kids all the time, like you, like dad doesn't just go up on stage. You listen to dad walk around the house, reciting his poems over and over and over again. It's called practice. It's so important in life. Um, but yeah, kids are young. They'll learn. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, Legos. So uh, we, we did bags six through eight, um, five through eight, whatever we're on. I can't remember now. And uh, it was it was good, man. Um, being a parent to a teenager is really hard. Um, like I, I wrote, I I put my article out yesterday, and I wrote in there is like it's sometimes it's like they change so much from one stage to the next. You know, it's like they're different people, and and when they change from that like kid to that teenager where they're like almost like an adult but they're not quite an adult it's like you have a stranger living with you like a a, a strange adult living in your house that you don't know how to talk to yet you know everything about this person um and it, it becomes difficult at times for me um i'm sure it's difficult for the kids as well i mean they're new it's it's strange for them too um which is why i did the lego thing and uh it's been a it's been a success uh i wrote in my bag uh in the story he told me he said dad um or i said it was good talking with you buddy and he goes yeah you too dad and i was like yeah he enjoyed talking with dad yeah because you know sometimes dad's boring i Mm -hmm. am always directing and guiding and doing all this stuff i'm rarely just a person i'm i'm rarely just having a conversation and i've got you know i've got five kids and i've got three jobs and my wife works a lot. So it is, it's hard to find that balance and setting that intentional time up with my son, which I, um, I took a great like parenting class at my, uh, or parenting like summit or whatever at my church, uh, with a good friend of mine. And that's where I actually got this idea. You know, he talked about intentional time with your children, which I already knew, but I wasn't doing. And I'm like, Yep, there's my reminder. And I set this thing up and it's it's been wonderful. I, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to finish the Saturn V rocket because I'm a huge space guy. So <laughs> does it come with its own uh, SpaceX launcher? Yeah. Oh no, 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 not a SpaceX one. Because uh, just... it's a different rocket. This is the one uh this I know, is the, I know, no. This is the last one that went to the moon. Um the Saturn V was the last one where we landed on the moon. I think they like you know, they put the flag, they play golf and all that stuff. I don't remember exactly, but anyways. So we're going back. We're going back to the moon. We need to go back to the moon and to Mars. It was just, uh, did you see about this? It was like a, a, a test they just did with it. So they yeah. sent them to the moon and it came back. So, yep. I was very excited. And some of the pictures that they've been getting from Mars have been fantastic as well. Um, I'm telling you, like I said, it's time. It's time to go to Mars. <laughs> All right, John, that was a good episode. We made it. That was good. Yeah. Made it through. I didn't keep my eyes on the camera enough because I kept on forgetting, but you know, maybe next practice I'll get better. (laughs) I mean, like I, there's a guy, Matt Mulweger runs the WordPress company and he's got this like a couple thousand dollar setup so that he's got a a camera that's positioned in the right spot. He's got like the teleprompter right behind it for the screen. So we can see like, so if you want to do a full studio setup, it's going to cost you more than just like a, 
$20 camera stand and uh, a $50 mic, you know, <laughs> and the light and the light, you know. Yeah, so, I got the light, you know. Um, so uh, before we go, let's talk a little bit. We've got our Madisonian Republican website up. We've got events on there. And um, we're going to start hitting you up, uh, coming up with advertisements and, and trying to you get- You can register right now. You yeah, can, you can register right now. <laughs> go register and sign up for the classes. Um, I promise they will be interesting. At, at the very least, they will be worth your time. You'll be entertained. Um, and hopefully you'll learn something. You know, that's our goal. And hopefully you'll teach me something. <laughs> Yeah, no, like this is part of the conversation that you've been talking about. Like, even if you you maybe don't agree, or you got a friend that maybe don't agree, like have them come along. Like, is it, we had a, a, one of our Madison Republicans meetings. We had a, a Manassas City Town Council candidate who was a, a Democrat, and we had a school board candidate who was a Republican. And like, you know, that conversational aspect is so important, especially as we're trying to like find that shared humanity and bring people together. Like, um, you know, even if you don't agree on everything, like, I think it's, it's valuable to meet people and understand that it's, there are human beings on the other side of, of our debates. That's right. Like I said, just talk to people, talk to the stranger, give them a hug. They need it. They're going through a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about the website going up. Uh, we'll be putting that out on blast for the next few weeks. Um, and, uh, We've, I've actually also got some guests I'm lining up for January for the podcast. So ooh, I got some uh, local people and I got maybe something else in the works too. Uh, we'll have to wait and get that confirmed first, but I'm pretty excited about it. Um, anything you want to add before we uh, we head out there, John? No, just uh, can't wait for Christmas and uh, I hope everyone has it well. That'll be next week. I'm getting ahead of myself. Those two breweries that I was talking about earlier, so they're they're fantastic. They're in Haymarket. I don't know if anybody knows this that lives in the area, um, but it's True Vi, and uh, I believe it. I mean, get the name right of the other one. I'm so bad with names. I would never be like a good politician because they wouldn't be able to like use me for advertising. <laughs> uh, Great Main Brewery and True Vi Brewery. They're right off Route 55 in Haymarket. They're fantastic. Um, great beer. Go check them out. Maybe talk with a stranger. I don't know. Peace and love. <laughs>